Welcome to Cooper Talk. I'm your host, Steve Cooper. And remember, I'm only as hip as my guests. And I have to tell you, when you're listening to the show, it'll be the 20th. And it'll be 20 days into No Shave November, which I've partaked in. But I have to lie on one part. I, I, I did shave my head this morning. But I decided the No Shave November should just be for razors. And so I used my buzzer. And the lovely Joanne's not really liking the beard. But I've been trying to be nice to her. I actually, I shampoo it and I condition it. And, and I got to tell you, people are enjoying the beard. They say it looks good on me. But she's like, there's no way you're keeping that after this month. You know, you did your thing for men's health. There's no way. But I don't know because Christmas is coming up. And I don't know if it's just the beard. But you just feel jolly with the beard. And I, I never would say I feel jolly. But I do. And it's going to be Christmas. And my beard's coming in all gray. And I don't want to get rid of it. But I think I will just because I have to get new headshots done and all that. Anyway enough about me we have a great show today and I, I just talked to this my guest off stage name is maggie wheeler how you doing maggie how are you i'm great thank you i want to tell you you're very you seem very very nice and, and we're getting to your career but man i hated you on californication oh. i just and if people know she played ophelia and and i'm not a misogynist at all i'm like a very i treat I'm, I, my parents raised me to have manners and stuff like that and i treat my girlfriend like gold but oh my god did you get we'll get to it but did you get a lot of backlash for that role uh, you know, I, I think I'm, I, the, the more people hated me, the happier I was. I think that was the goal. <laughs> it was just, it was great because I was sitting there going, oh my God, I just wanted to like strangle you through the TV. Loathsome creature. That I shows played. you're a great actress though. Thank you. But, uh, so, okay, so you know, you're from New York. You're born in New York, right? Born and raised, yes. Now, in the city or where at? I was born and raised in Manhattan. Okay. Yep. And I lived there until about, I, I, about 24 years ago when I moved here. Now, when you grew up, I know because I know you also sing and you have, you're a choir director and yes, stuff I like am. that. But now when you grew up, and it's funny because my, my brother and his, well, his wife has passed, but they live in mid, midtown Manhattan. And my niece, from when she was two, was going to like music classes and stuff like that. Did you, were you involved? Did you do stuff like that when you were younger? You know, I, I grew up in New York and uh, when I was very young, I, my parents sent me to dance classes and, and I took piano lessons, but I think the thing that really sort of set me on my musical journey was the fact that I was fortunate enough to go to a summer camp in Hancock, Vermont that was run by Pete Seeger's brother. Okay. So I spent some formative years sitting around a campfire with some fantastic banjo players and guitar players and hammer dulcimer players and just sort of spending my summer singing fabulous folk songs around a campfire so that when I sort of set out into the world, world, uh, that idea of singing and music and community was something that was really part of me. See, it's so cool, and it's, it's weird, because I grew up in a very Jewish neighborhood. I mean, it was 85% Jewish. I, I'm not, but I mean, I, people think I am, because I grew up around the <laughs> Jewish neighborhood. But it was so funny, because the summer camp was very it was a very intricate part of these kids growing up, because they'd be gone. I mean, it's like we would go to like a day camp. We went to like a place called Mount Misery. You know, it was like <laughs> kids Misery. from like crappy neighborhoods, and we're on the bus, and I'm like, oh my God, how, you know. And I, <laughs> yeah, I started in day camp. But I graduated to the sleepover version. And in fact, you're right. I was gone for two months every summer from the time that I was seven turning eight because I have a summer birthday. So, uh, yeah, shipped off. And, you know, one would think that was from some uh, people's perspective child abuse. But for me, it was a lifesaver. I loved going there and I loved my summers there. So. Yeah. Well, it's worked. funny that people say that, and you're right. People be, oh my God. You're, but it's a matter of, you know, I mean, I'm not a parent. I don't have kids. And 
but I know my friends who do have kids, they drive them up the wall. It's like my friend Mike <laughs> just took his one and two and two and a half year old and his daughter who's 14 on first family vacation. Cause you don't take a two and a half year old to yeah, Mexico to a resort. But I would think it, for the parents, I think it would make you a better parent. Cause one, you know, it's a Jewish mother. They always, they always love their sons, you know, and you, you miss your kids, but so they, when, when they come back, you're much more, you might you like know, them a little yeah, exactly, more. Yeah, exactly. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, the pendulum definitely swings. I have two children and I have a, a, a freshman in college, two daughters and, and an eighth grader, and uh, they've never been away uh, like that. And, uh, you know, I've raised them really differently than, than I was raised, but they also haven't grown up in New York City. So they kind of, you know, California's summer camp every oh, day. Oh, yeah. Really. It's crazy. It's like I'm looking, in, I live in Burbank, and there's a, uh, an ice skating rink going up this Friday. Oh, man. Well, outside, <laughs> but it's supposed to be 75. And I'm like, it doesn't make sense. It's still Burbank. And I tell people, my, my girlfriend just moved out here from New Jersey, and she's like, I'm so glad it's not, you know, the winter. But I'm like, California. I want. I have sweaters. Okay. I want to. I, I was like, I can wear a cardigan today. Because I'm like, out. I got I, my cardigan. Yeah. It's. It's. But it, we can wear it today. And it's so funny. We bitch. And you know, we'll bitch if it just it goes like sixty. And I'm like, I mean, I grew up in New Jersey. I know what cold is. Same with you in New York. Uh, but you know. how quickly we forget. I know. <laughs> Our so, blood thins. We're sissies now. I, we just, are. It's true. I mean, yeah. I sit there. It's like I'm wearing a leather jacket with a hat and gloves. And, go, and my friends are like, dude, it's forty five. And I went back east for three weeks last year at Christmas time. And you forget what it's like to put gloves on. And you're like, you can't move. You're like, wait, I can't get my keys. And you know, so so you, you were doing the singing. Now, at what point did you decide you wanted to follow acting or was singing your first choice? Uh, you know, I, I wanted to act from the time that I was pretty young. Was there a reason? Did you see something on TV or did your parents, were your parents involved in the biz? Or? Well, no, my parents were not involved. I think I was just sort of a born comedian. I'm a middle child and I think I did a lot of, you know, dancing around to make people laugh starting from when I was pretty young uh, and I grew up on Mary Tyler Moore and Carol Burnett and and you know Gidget and you know I grew up on on, on all these great women in television and it was there, I mean the, and even you know even when you watched you know the Mary Tyler Moore show I mean we even had you know the, the supporting females who were funny, even Phyllis Engel, who was Ted Baxter's wife, I think that's her name, was, uh, they were great, great female Fantastic roles back then. roles, fantastic roles. And uh, of course, I grew up on Lucy, on Lucy. So, you know, I think uh, I loved all those comedians and I, and I, uh, I, you know, I really, I learned a lot watching them and I, and I was also just sort of naturally inclined to, to mimic. Okay. So, uh, yeah, I think my first stage was probably the living room and, uh, and then I sought out opportunities to do theater from the time that I was pretty young. Uh, so, so I, do, I never sort of set out in the world to become a professional singer. That's not really where music lived for me, although I did, you know, I sang in bands and I did a bunch of stuff like that, but really I wanted to act from the time I was pretty, pretty So you're, you're in high school. Are, are you doing productions in high school? I mean, were you, were you in the theater? Because it's funny because me, I mean, I'm, I just turned 50 and theater, I mean, it's funny. My high school has a huge theater group. I mean, I look now and we have, a, a, you know, in Cherry Hill, New Jersey has this great, Cherry Hill East has this great thing, but a lot of people didn't get involved with it. And back then it didn't seem like a lot of now everyone's into it but Glee has made it so yeah. popular but back then a lot of people didn't do it were you involved in high school theater I was I mean I went to uh, I, I graduated from a, a relatively small progressive high school that didn't have a fancy theater but I, I was fortunate enough to have Alfred Urey who wrote Driving Miss Daisy as my theater teacher okay. and so he was very inspiring and I had a chance to do some really great work there and, uh, and then I joined a musical theater company for kids that I did after school in my junior and senior year of high school or maybe even my 
sophomore, junior, senior, I can't remember. But anyway, I was, I was with him for a couple of years. And we did shows for kids every weekend. And then I went off and did summer stock at Mount Holyoke. And then I went off and I, I went to uh, uh, the American Conservatory Theater in San Francisco for their summer congress. And, you know, I just kept sort of reaching out and figuring out ways to pursue my craft. And, uh, you know, and then I came back to New York and hit the streets. And I went off to college and spent every weekend on the train trying to get back to New York to you know, to get where did you go going. to college? I went at? to Sarah Lawrence, but I didn't stay. I, I went for a year. Where is that? In Bronxville, New York. Okay, so now you you get you, you leave for college. Theater, I went. Oh, you mm-hmm. get up there and you leave college because I think you probably like you know you live in New York. I mean, yeah. it, it's like it's like <laughs> why go away when you can just be auditioning and cutting your teeth? Exactly. Now, did you did you go into acting classes when you lived in the city? I did. I was always studying with someone, uh, and and I had some great teachers along the way. I was incredibly fortunate. The the year that I went to the American Conservatory Theater, Anna Devira Smith, who is a brilliant uh, writer, actress, director, um, uh, was my teacher. And I fell in love with her. I fell in love with her process. And then I went back to New York and I joined this other class and I was just sort of you know, frustrated there. And one day I ran into Anna on the street and I got down on my knees, literally on 57th Street and said, will you please teach me? Uh, so I started working privately with her and I ended up doing a couple of shows with her. Uh, you know, so anyway, I, I had a very eclectic path, but I kept seeking out great teachers and, and trying to uh, to find people who could really inspire me. Well, of course. I mean, when you're when you're young and you're Pete Seeger's camp, I mean, of course you have that in your bones. You're like, okay, you know, I got to keep it, you know, going. So you're, you're in New York, you're struggling. And I don't know if you're struggling, but are you, are you, do you now, are you trying to get plays or trying to get commercials or what was your main focus? And what, you were how old at the time? Like 20, I started pursuing acting professionally when I was 16. Okay. So uh, right around then I got myself a manager. Uh, it was a pretty funny experience back then. I was the only signed child actor who didn't have parents in tow because my parents wouldn't come near it okay. with a 10-foot <laughs> pole. Uh, so, you know, I would go there to, to meet with them or talk to them and all these sisters would come in in matching gingham dresses and they'd be singing and tap dancing with their stage mothers. It was pretty funny. So for me at 16, I think I thought that like the pinnacle would be to get a Burger King commercial. Okay. You know, if I could be flipping burgers on a Burger King commercial, I would have made it at that time. But really what I was met with in the commercial world was, you know, you're very ethnic. What are you? Are you Puerto Rican? Are you Italian? What are you? Are you Jewish? You know, so I would try to get these these, you know, cookie cutter commercials and it wasn't happening. And then one day, I think out of pity, my manager sent me to um, to a recording uh, uh, joint where they were doing some ads for CBS Records. And I was just going to stand in a crowd and I was going to stand with these other actors and say, ooh, the Rubenus, ooh, the Rubenus, ooh, the Rubenus. And they pointed you know, from the other side of the booth and said, who's the kid with the low voice? And I thought, oh, shit, I'm getting fired. Right. I, I just got here, you know. <laughs> my first so gig, they, come my on. My first gig, and they pulled me out, and they gave me the lead in the spot. So that must have made you feel great. It felt made me feel great, and they hired me, and they hired me, and they hired me. So I did a ton of work for CBS Records during that short period of time. Now, what would you do? For, what were what were the spots for? I mean, would you you for weren't bands. singing, but I mean, what were you saying? Like, oh, I listened to such and such, or you know, or, and do you remember some of the bands? Uh, well, I remember Ooh the Rubenus because that's where it all began. But I, the rest of it is a bit of a blur. Okay. And then I did uh, I did something for with them for Oxy Ten or you know some pimple cream with uh, with I think his name was W B Bryden who was the voice of 
of the Oxy products, okay. who had a cottage in Connecticut he called Pimple Cottage because it was paid for by all of those pimple uh, uh advertisements so you know they used me for a bunch of things and then i did a bunch of voiceover work for mtv so you're doing voiceovers so now but when was your first commercial or anything on front of screen because any of the voiceovers a lot of people don't know it's like i've had guests on who do a lot of voiceovers and you sit there and you go, oh, okay you know dean cameron was on he does a lot of different voiceover stuff and you sit there and you go oh okay and so you never really see them and you don't I mean, it's you always listen because there's so many celebrities now, and it will drive you crazy. It's like, okay, who is that? Who is that? that? And then sometimes it's, <laughs> it's not Alice then. and Janney, but, yeah, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's, but you're like, you're like, damn it! I remember, I think it was Ed Burns used to do a uh, Edward Burns used to do a uh, Diet Pepsi ad, but for the longest time, I'm like, who is it? And thank God now for the internet. Oh, okay, it's them. You know, and you hear a voice, but so because you know, it's funny, because a lot of people don't associate the the face with a voiceover actor, and and it's it's a lucrative gig, and you. And you can get a table places, but no one bothers you. It's a great gig. And I so I, I started out in voiceover. Uh, then I would say, that, I mean, I did a bunch of extra work and I did a bunch of tiny little things on, you know, I, I you know, some of my, I, I, it's a bit of a blur. You'd have to go back on IMDb to find out. But um, anyway, I did a few tiny little things on television, little extra jobs that I got. And every time I was so excited, you know, I was excited to do anything. And, uh, and I remember sitting on a bus going to do an extra job for some bank commercial. And there was a woman sitting next to me with brown hair and blue eyes. There was a moment where I was quite certain that the problem with my, 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 not uh, a thriving career was that I didn't have blue eyes and so I thought if I had blue eyes okay. and brown hair nothing would stop me so I got on the bus and sitting next to me at four in the morning sitting next to me on the extra bus was this woman who looked a little bit like she was from Mars but she had blue eyes and I thought God I realized when she turned to the side and I saw there was this sort of the bulbous profile of her eyeball that they weren't real and this was uh, you know, 110 years yeah, there ago. Contacts were so huge. I looked at her and I said, where did you get those? How did you get those? And she gave me the name of this eye doctor and I went to him and I was still <laughs> in my teens and he said, he, he was German and he said, you know, I must try to um, dissuade you from uh, purchasing these uh, contact lenses because they are very painful and it makes you extremely light sensitive and you will not uh, uh, like that and it's your vanity that is wanting you to buy that and you shouldn't have it. I'm like, I want them. Right. So, <laughs> he made me the damn things. I put them on on the day that they were ready. And, you know, really, it looked like if you if you cut the stem off a spoon, that's about how thick those things were. <laughs> and they were hand- like, You can burn ants with the sun, you know? It's like, come <laughs> exactly. on. Exactly. I still have them. They were hand-painted on the inside. <laughs> and so it was really the, you know, the dark ages. And so I put that thing in my, in my eye. I lasted a couple of hours when suddenly I began to feel what he meant by light wow. sensitive. And I ended up uh, turning the lights down and down and down in this room until there was no light at all and I was shielding my eyes from the darkness. And so that was it. That was it for the blue contacts. But um, my, I would say that my break, my first big break, was uh, when I had a chance to audition for a sketch comedy show called The New Show that Lorne Michaels directed during the period of time that he stepped away from Saturday Night Live. And was that in New York? Still? In New York okay. City. And I had to do five minutes of original stand-up. And now, had I you ever done stand-up before? Never before. Because it's funny. What cracks me up is for some of these uh, shows, if they make you do stand-up, first of all, you can be a great stand-up, but you can be a crappy actor. I mean, I, do, I did stand-up for years, and I got out of the business, and I'm back in for fun. But 
there's a lot. I mean, it's not easy to sit there and say, hey, do five minutes. You know, you're, you're going to, I mean, the chances are you're going to suck because you've never done it before. And it's not like you can just get up on stage and do five minutes, which is weird with these auditions because I think they'd say, give us some characters. Give us not stand up because you're not going to do a monologue. Right. Well, that's what I did. I created, you know, I used, I, I created those five minutes out of characters because it was the only way that I could go. Uh, and I really had, I had no idea whether I even had a wild shot at that. It's just, it was the chance to get up in front of Lorne Michaels and do that. So I can tell you, I sweat blood and tears during the month or however long I had leading up to that event where I was writing that those five minutes. <laughs> I have great respect for you and anybody else who does that. Were you up. getting on stage to work it out at the time or no? This was your first was, time. No, I was getting in front of my bathroom mirror. Okay. You know, uh, uh, but I just kept working it and working it until I thought, okay, well, this is it. They can love it or leave it. So I went in and I did my five minutes and that led to being thrown up on stage with uh, Dave Thomas from Second City and uh, and and it was just and to do a bunch of improv for them and it was just an amazing opportunity and I got the job wow so that was your first gig so that was my first big gig in television and I had a chance to work with some of the greatest people you who know were some I, of you work with you remember I worked with Raul Julia and Kevin Klein and Gilda Radner and Penny Marshall and they were all in the show they all guessed it's Steve Martin John Candy uh, was on the show I mean just amazing amazing People and you were young. You were a young. Kid. I was young, and then of course, then the cast. Uh, you know, we had Valerie Bromfield, who was also you know Canadian, hilarious woman, and and uh, oh my God, I'm going to forget everybody who was on the show. But you know, it was just an incredible cast. It's weird because I don't remember the show, and I should have because I, I have like I have one of those idiot memories. My friends always say like I remember stuff like I can name the whole cast of uh, That's My Mama. I mean, I have one of those things. I mean, I can't remember last week, but my roommate from college was in town, and uh, he's saying to my girlfriend, he's like this guy i'll call him to say do you remember that guy in h court in, in college and i remember it but just, i swear i don't remember the show it and didn't sounds- last long it lasted almost it's the first order it was like 13 or something like that and it was canceled so you know it was a bit of a debacle and and uh but but while it lasted it was an amazing experience yeah, for I mean, me you're working with these these legends i was working with legends and i just could you know i just had pinched myself and pinched myself every day and then when it was done i thought well i better take this moment which may never come again and get on an airplane and go out to California and give this a shot, you know, out of the city. So that's when I first came out here. I just came for a year. Had you been to L.A. before or was that your first time? I visited. My, my college roommate lived here, so okay. I came and visited her. But other than that, no. So I came out here and, um, and I did a little work out here. I did a recurring role on the paper chase. And I, you know, I sort of got to know Los Angeles and I really loved it. And then I got a call from, uh, from Rankin Bass, uh, the great animation uh, house that did all of those claymation Christmas things that we all grew up I, on. I right? love, I love those things. It's so funny. I buy them. I, I have. I just was at. I was actually. I know Kmart always sells stuff, and they had like a four pack. I'm like, I have to buy because I bought the little drummer boy last year. But they're just so classic. They are classics, and I have them too. I absolutely love them. And uh, so I got a call from this woman, Lee Doniker, saying, you know, do you want to? come back to New York and audition for this superhero cartoon. They had seen my audition tape for the new show. They'd called Lorne Michaels and asked for, for, you know, people, and he gave them, God love him, he gave them my audition tape. So they hired me from California to come back and do the pilot for Silverhawks, which was a superhero cartoon that followed Thundercats, which was a big success of theirs. And, uh, and I ended up back in New York doing 65 episodes of this superhero cartoon which led to another season of that and a bunch of other animation jobs for them uh, until they went under 
But you, so you're st- you came back to New York. I came back to New York for animation, and I did I did uh, I, I worked for them for several years in the now, city. Now back then, and because animations changed a lot, but for sixty five shows. How long did it take? I mean, I know how long was your thing. I know probably the process took like a year and a half to get it actually animated. But for your for your job, we did a show a week. Okay, so you were so that that was a long, long term. I mean, you were come, you came out here for a year, and you were back for a year. I mean, it's great because you're working. It was a great gig. I can imagine. It was a great gig. And when I say a show a week, that did not mean I was in there every day. You know, right. we shot. We, we you know we recorded for a day. Yeah, and uh, and it was just the best job. I worked again. I worked with some gr- just old guard, great people from you know in animation, uh, and and it was you know it's a very uh, male dominated field, and uh, I was really fortunate to get in there and, and have a chance to do that. What I was your character? I played uh, I played Steelheart, who was the uh, heroine, and I also played the the villainess uh, Melodia. Very, I won't do that in front of your microphone because it will you know. Is it really loud? Is it, it will kill us okay. all. Um, you can go look up Silverhawks. I'm going to look it up. I, I, it's um, shrieky. She was my first shrieky character, actually. You know, now, now, how did you learn to shriek? Were you, was it from a? Did you shriek when you were a kid I ever? Or probably because I used to like imitate parrots. Okay. I liked pet stores, <laughs> and I would make birds sound. <laughs> you know, like that. So okay, I so think I, you know, I, w- I was probably imitating birds. Um, yeah. So Melodia was very shrieky, and I got to sing horribly f- as that character and that must suck when you're a good singer when you have to sing crappy you know it'd, it'd, be, it'd, be, it'd be like you know because years ago I did a, I did a, a short uh, a little web series called uh, Steve Cooper Not So Funny Guy and I had to go on stage I'm not saying I'm funny but I did it for a long time so it was funny but I had to suck and it was just weird like sitting there going okay I, and we're just filming it and people like three plants knew because they were going to heckle me but I'm going man and you, you're you're your mind wants to kick into being funny, but yeah. you're like, I gotta yeah, suck. Do it. Don't do and it. it. That must be because you're because you're a good singer and you're, and you're just singing crappily. That it must was, be awful. It was fun though. I have to say, I just I, I love that character. And you know that the the process of working for those guys and doing that cartoon was so great because we used to go sit around a big table every time they broke a script. We'd sit around with new characters. We'd all sit around a table and we'd audition together for the extra See, that's new cool. characters. Oh, that's good. We'd all just throw stuff out, you know, and they would make those decisions. You know, at basically at the table, so it was really comedy sports. Yeah, you know, see, and that's cool because you all had your job, so you weren't worried about losing your job, but you just wanted a little extra because you're like, yeah, well, you know, because you know, I want to do this, and that's and cool. They, and there was no restriction, so that if I wanted to try a 700 pound male beast, they weren't going to say, you know, you don't do that because you're a woman, you know. So I really had really free free reign. Yeah, that's awesome. Tons of fun. So that came to an end. Uh, I can't remember when, but in the midst of it all, uh, I met Henry Jaglum who uh, is an independent film director. and uh, Oh, I met him on the night that the new show was canceled, as a matter of fact. Somebody took me out to dinner, and I met him in a, in a restaurant right before I came out to Los Angeles. Now, did you know it was already canceled? So you, someone it, said, well, take you out. Yes, and, you know, it, okay. was my, it was my, uh, you know, my, my swan song dinner. Uh, and I, I met Henry at this restaurant, and we started talking, and I had already made plans to come out to Los Angeles. And, and uh, he said, you know, come come." see me when you're there I'm editing a movie so I had a chance to watch him edit this film and that and when I went back to New York to do the superhero cartoon uh, he we, we, we reconnected back in New York and we made a movie together that was called New Year's Day and uh, and that movie brought me back out here okay and it was uh, it was chosen to represent the US at the Venice Film Festival so it gave me the opportunity to go to to Italy and also to be on Johnny Carson and you know it was a it was a very unexpected and wonderful opportunity for me that must be awesome I mean sitting there you know okay Italy okay go it's like someone I know was on Lost and they go okay we're sending you to Hawaii 
what okay you, you go for a week and a half and they're like okay we'll okay. shoot like three days but well you go up and it's like must be great yeah it's pretty exciting that was very exciting to go to the festival was exciting and to you know to have a film in the festival was just yeah i mean every time those things work when it works it's it's magic you know for the for the 9 10 12 18 months that there's nothing in between job right. and job you know not so much magic but well it's funny because i'm looking at your resume and uh and you were on civil wars which peter honorati was just on last week who was the star of civil wars it's just so weird how like everyone's paths cross in this town. Yes, and Peter Onorati and I met years ago because we made a very small movie together uh, with Brian Benben. From Dream On. Yeah, from Dream On. And uh, it's called, well, I don't know what it's called anymore. It was called God's Payroll and then it was called Divine Obsession and I'm not really sure what it, you know, what the final title was. But anyway, there were some great actors on that show and uh, Anthony LaPaglia was in it. And See, it's so yeah, great to see some of the stuff. It's, it's awesome. It's like, you look at it, it's like, um, who is... Uh, Paul Carafotis was on and was talking about how he did a movie with, it was, I mean, it was crazy. It was Joe Montagna and it was James Gandolfini and Louis Gossett. You're like, wow, and that was a short. But it's just so, because I think so many people, that they knew each other when they were younger, that they go, hey, do this. And they're like, all right. You know, they come on, which is cool. Yeah. So now you were in Seinfeld, too. I was on Seinfeld. Now, what was that like? Because I always have people who've worked on Seinfeld or in Curb, and they go say, and I've had writers for Seinfeld, just say, it's, it was such a laid-back environment, but everyone knew Larry David was the boss. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, you know, I, I was so excited to do that show. And Were you a fan of the show? I was a big fan of the show. I had read for it a number of times. And, you know, that time it worked. And uh, and that show, that episode that I did won an Emmy for Best Written Half Hour. And I worked with Larry on, on Curb Your Enthusiasm uh, uh, last two summers ago. And, um, and he told me we were sitting in the makeup chair and he said, you know, it's top five. And I said, I'm sorry, what? He said, you know, it's top five. <laughs> I said, well, I'm sorry. And he said, you know, the episode, the episode you did of Seinfeld, top five. So that's nice to know that that episode, you know, has a uh, a place in, in Seinfeld history. But anyway, I had a great time doing that show. I loved every minute of it. I was nervous as hell. You know, I was just surrounded by these incredible uh, people. And I just trying to hold my own. But I did have a great time. What Curb episode were you? Because I watch Curb religiously. I did an episode called Palestinian chicken. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay, and then they sit there, and he doesn't want to go, but the chicken's so good, and so he goes. And uh, Super uh, David Eisen, whatever um, David Einstein, is also in it, and he's like he catches Larry in there. What role role were you? I play uh, the wife of Larry's golf buddy, who says "lol" instead of instead of. Oh my god! Okay, that was. (laughs) Yes. And he finally tells. Oh my god! That's so. Because Larry and I I get in a big fight when he comes to tell me that I should stop. Well, I'll tell my girlfriend that because she remembered you from well friends and from also from Seinfeld but she she's real, like knows all the Seinfeld when she was just come visit before she moved out here it's like I had Steve Scrovan come on one time because he wrote for Seinfeld so uh-huh. she, was, she was all happy and it was like I had someone else come on but okay the lol that's so funny yeah. oh man we had fun that was an incredible experience I, I have to say working on that show was just a tell high me about, point tell, tell me what was such a great experience about it uh first of all they love each other they laugh all day I mean Larry Jeff Garland makes Larry laugh so hard and Larry makes Jeff laugh and so you can you're just in that environment where people you know it's always so great when you laugh so hard that you're crying you just can't stop you know those are the, the high moments oh, it's right? the best. like I'll and sit so there when you, you're hunched over and you just can't stop and you're, <laughs> exactly. you're gasping you're like, and then you sit there and go okay okay I'm gonna stop and then you just look at someone and it starts all over and you, it's infectious and then everyone else starts laughing and, and you finally you're like and you're like I can't breathe I can't do it anymore <laughs> I can't do it so that that's how it is on that set all the time I mean they are laughing till it hurts and so just just to be around that uh, was awesome. Susie Esmond, so fantastic, so welcoming. You know, everybody was just so great. 
uh, and I loved it. And I like working improvisationally like that. Uh, you know, that's when I made that movie with Henry way back when, with Henry Jaglum. You know, he works improvisationally. I mean, you get your story points, and you know where you're headed. But it's something that I really enjoy doing. And so it was great to be back in that environment working like that. Well, when you said when you were in a new show, you had to do improv on stage. Had you had you ever done improv before that? Or <coughs> or did you not? I mean, because, I mean. Not I had never <laughs> studied improv. Okay. But I had been in so many acting classes over the years. You know, I had done plenty of it. Uh, but I had never gone out to sort of pursue being a comedy improv person. Okay. So now you're out here and you're getting different shows. You do Seinfeld. Now, how does the Friends come about? Uh, you know, let's see. So, I, you know, I, as I said, I made that crazy little movie years back with Brian Benben. So he ended up on Dream On. And, uh, Great and, show. And I, a lot of people don't remember that show. And you can't find it on the. I don't think you can find it on DVD anymore. I don't know. But it was such a good show. And it was so before its time because in the beginning he would always watch the TV show and he narrated it and it was when HBO and they've always been on cutting edge on uh, episodes but I always crack up with Brian Benben because he was getting laid every episode and it was like he was like and then it's like, it's like DeCovney on Californication exactly. but DeCovney's better looking than Benben Deco- I mean I have a man crush on DeCovney listen I hear you but Brian Benben it, he has a, he has his own kind of sex appeal he okay. is a very <laughs> sexy guy and uh, he's so funny and uh, and we we worked on oh so he brought me he, he suggested that they bring me in on that show and I'd auditioned for that show a bunch of times too and of course Marta Kaufman David Crane Kevin Bright created Dream On so uh, who, the, who crea- they created Friends as well so now now I, I uh, something happened they had an episode with a comedian they needed a, a they needed a stand up comedian and they wanted Paula Poundstone and they wanted Carrie Fisher they wanted there's a bunch of people that they wanted and they couldn't get them so at the last minute they called me and okay. I went in and I auditioned and they gave me the job. Then I got the stomach flu and I had to drag myself in there with 101 fever and whatever to go do that job. However, I had a great time. I loved it. And Kevin Bright was my, he, you know, who was produced the show. He played the MC in the comedy club. Okay. So Danny Juki, I think, was the name of the character. Don't you love these guys? It's so great when you look back at some of these guys. You're like, oh, man, Danny. And she's like, I, I don't know anyone named Juki. What so that? he introduced me as my comedian self on that show. Uh, so anyway, I think that's where I entered into the consciousness of the Friends creators. And then years later, although I think if you look it up on Wikipedia, it says I auditioned for the part of Monica. But it to does? my recollection, that never happened. Okay. So either I was, you know. I don't know what I, somebody a body snatched because Wh- I don't remember reading Wikipedia and IMDb are sometimes wrong. It's like Mindy Sterling was on it, and I was like, "Oh, your first one was B.J. and Barrett." It's like I never did it. She was, "I got to get it off my IMDb," and it says it on Wikipedia. And you get so many people, or it's like one guy was on. And he said his birthday was he was I wasn't I wasn't born on November twenty seventh. That's one on November twenty second. So it's never it's like in newsroom. Uh, do you watch newsroom? Yeah. When she couldn't get her Wikipedia fact because she went to other college. I don't know who puts these pages together. I don't either. I there's several mistakes that I will not mention. Here that I'm just leaving because they work in my favor. Okay. So <laughs> there are some things on there that are really patently untrue. Um, uh, so what? Where, where? Where are we? I don't even. You remember. said you, you you didn't audition for Monica, but you said I did when, not. When, when friends then, came on. Oh, here's well, so oh so there's a big chapter in the middle, which is that I did the first I did the first um, season of Ellen DeGeneres' show, which was called These Friends of Mine, um, and I got fired which was my first firing experience and not was my that last. Like? But, was, was, um, were you pissed or was it, did you understand or was, I was, was it creative? I was devastated at the okay. time. I mean, they wrote that role for me and I was so, um, Neil, uh, Neil Marlins and uh, Carol Black wrote the character in the show for me because they had seen me on Seinfeld. And, um, and so 
I, and I loved the cast, and I loved working with Ellen. It was a very, very tense set. There were a lot of people that were nervous and sort of overseeing it, like, you know, hovering helicopter mothers. And there was, so there was a lot of tension on the set. Uh, anyway, it's a long story. Probably we don't have time for it here, but I will say that I had a great time working on the show. But my, <laughs> excuse me, my character really started uh, changing directions midstream the, in the writing. And that's when the writing was on the wall. There was somebody that was unhappy. They wanted... You know, they wanted something other than me. So they started sort of writing the character in a way that was very different. They would never have cast me to play the character they started okay. to write. And eventually they let me go. Uh, and so when that happened, you know, it's kind of the thing you dread. that You think you never want something like that to happen. And it was, my, in a way, my first big break in terms right. of a series. And, I, and so it really felt quite terrible. Uh, but then I had to sort of come out from under the, the rock and say, you know what, the, this is life and life is like this for a lot of people and I'm going to get up and I'm going to keep going. And then the Friends audition came in and I looked at it and I felt utterly free to do whatever I wanted to do in that audition because the worst in, had, had already happened. I had already gotten canned from this thing. And I think there was a period of time, long period of time, where I thought, you know, I'm never going to play that character. I'm never going to play that New York Jap. Because if they see me doing that, they'll never cast me as anything else as right. long as I live. Right. So I think I always thought that as a young actor, that I probably better just keep that <laughs> in a, Hidden, in yeah, a bag. Cause, cause, yeah, it's, it's anything. It's like, I don't want to get typecast because I'm, I'm more than that. It's like, you don't want to be, I mean, look at Fran Drescher, but she's never going to play another role. I mean, it's, it's awful. Fran Drescher talks like this. She's yep. not playing it. Right, you know, but, I mean, okay. I have a choice. So, uh, so I, I and, and with that choice, I thought exactly as you said, you know, I want to be everything. I want people to be able to see me as this and see me as that, see me as all the many things that I can do. However, having been fired from the Ellen <laughs> show, I, I didn't have that hanging over me anymore. I felt really liberated in a way. And I walked into that Friends audition. I, you know, I read the, the, the material. It said, fast-talking New Yorker at the top. That's all it said, as far as I know, in terms of character direction. But the, it was in the language. You know, she said, I, I got you these socks and mix and match, moose and squirrel, whatever you want. You can wear whatever you want, whatever Janice says right. in that first episode. And I just, you know, I knew her and I didn't, I didn't hide from her. Now, when you, when you walked out of the audition, did you feel like you nailed it? Because sometimes people walk out and go, man, I nailed it. Some people come out and they'll say they'll get a job when they say, I sucked. I thought I got nothing. But yeah. some people have said, did you feel like this is me? You know, what, what, I, I knew that I knew what I wanted to do in the audition. But strangely, um, there were only two people there. And I can't remember if it was Marta and David or Marta and Kevin. But somebody was missing. And when I started talking, I really have this very visceral memory of them sitting back on the couch like they both sat back and I thought oh god they hate it you know that was a mistake look what they just did like their body language just changed they went from sitting forward to sitting back and I knew I thought I'm not supposed to be paying attention to this like why am I even noticing what they just did with their bodies but in fact I, I, that was a, some I think that was an indication that they were happy and then they brought me back and I did it again so I really didn't know I actually wasn't sure what that what I walked out of there having done so when you got that role now, did you have any idea? I mean, I don't think it's like anything when people go for a series, you know, it's did you have any idea how big I mean, like I mean, friends became huge and it was it was very sort of not not like, but it was similar to the the Ellen uh, theme, you know, it was I mean, the sort of the friends and stuff like that just a thing. Did you have any idea that this show would just be I mean, it just blew up? I, at the time, I think my first episode is the third episode of the series. So nobody knew, I mean, they may have known, I think, in their hearts what they had. 
But I was just showing up to do this one episode, and I had no idea what was going on. All I knew was I loved these actors. I loved the spirit on the set, that it was incredibly collaborative, that I had come from this other job where there was no room for collaboration, and I walked onto this set where there was nothing but collaboration. And I was so amazed. You know, I just thought, oh, my God, you know, I'm dreaming. Like, this is just an actor's dream. Now, after that show... When you're on it, the people start recognizing you because they always say like because some people aren't used to that. And it's like the old thing. People may sit there and go, hey, you know, I know you were on that or that. But I guess people just started really recognizing you. Did that? Did, well, how was that? What was that like for you? Well, Janice is very recognizable. I've never, you know, it's always been quite, you know, uh, um, it's, a, it's a nice thing. I'm, you know, I got to, ma- to really make people laugh for a very long time on that show. And there's nothing better. So anybody who comes up to me, you know, because they recognize me from friends is coming up to say thank you for all the laughter and all that joy so that's always a pretty nice reason to be recognized and sometimes people recognize me and sometimes they say you know you look just like that girl on friends and they don't really know that it's me because i'm not you know my hair is not all teased up and i'm not in leopard pants (laughs) but um you know so i I get it comes at me you know both ways but uh yeah it's always fun anything ever weird happened to you because always people say like anyone just like weird what when that was on like sometimes people are like fritz coleman was on and he said how some guy came up to him at a, at a supermarket and he's yelling you know you forecasted the weather the rain and I set this thing and I did this and he's like it's only my job I'm, you know he's like I'm not even a meteorologist I'm a weatherman but I mean is anything ever weird like when you're at the show is anyone ever like weird like oh my god we don't like you or has that ever happened or? no I'm happy to say that I never was forecasting the weather so they exactly. couldn't get mad at, <laughs> they couldn't get mad at me for uh, you know leaving the house in the wrong outfit but but uh, no I really it's always been positive stuff I think that I've never met anybody who, who was mad at friends right I, that's what, so you, you do friends and then you're also with everyone loves raymond yes now, for, I, they were simultaneous in a way. okay now now how did that work because they're two different networks was there a problem with that uh or? no it worked out okay you know i read for the i read for uh I, and it probably says this on wikipedia and it is true uh, i read to play way ray's wife on um on on raymond and and they really liked me and uh i was in that in the mix for quite a while uh so i you know i was friends with with uh, Ray by that time and with Phil who created the show and so they really wanted to find a way to fit me in uh, so no I don't think I ever had any there was one week that I was doing both shows at the same time I know that I was going from you know from the NBC to CBS and uh, but no it worked out that was pretty, that's pretty cool though because you were in two shows that were huge and and you know and in the beginning when you break it down people wouldn't think it would be that. I mean I know Tom Caltabiano and Steve Scrovan both wrote for Everyone Loves Raymond yeah. and when that started out I mean Tom was like Ray's buddy you know and it was he, no one ever thought it would pull, you know do it. so I mean you're you're in a bunch of pop culture which is, is just might make you feel great I mean it's it your part of pop culture I mean and, and for us idiot not us it's for our people who know all this stuff and live TV you know I mean said to my girlfriend Joanne said uh, who's on and I said. Oh, Maggie Wheeler, and I said she was uh, on Friends. She was Chandler's girlfriend. And I wasn't a huge Friends watcher. She goes, oh, and then I was sitting there, I go, well, this is the girl's on. She goes, oh, you didn't tell me it was Janice. And, and, and I'm like, I'm like, oh, I didn't know. I, she goes, no, it's just a big difference. And I'm like, oh, okay. And I said, and she goes, she's on that Seinfeld episode too. And I said, yeah, well, I, I told you that. She goes, yeah, but I wasn't paying attention to you because you just talk all the time anyway. So that must be great, though. I, I've, it's fantastic. I mean, it's really, I have been very blessed. I've worked with some amazing people on great shows that people love. Now, now you, you're, now you, these shows, you're on them, and then you just have to go back to the grind for auditioning, right? Yes, I do. Which is, which is great, though, because everyone has to do it. And it's something that unless you're, and people don't understand this, unless you're a, one of these stars of these shows, you know, you want to work. And so but the thing is, you have a great resume. So you've gotten to work with some great people. Now, is it, is it weird after, because you, you were in Friends for a while, and you were on 
every one of them for a bunch of episodes. Mm-hmm. How many episodes? Twelve? Uh, I don't know. But you were there. But so now you start doing shows where you come in and you're a guest star. Mm-hmm. You're a guest spot. Now, is that weird because you're going from a, a, an environment where you're with the same people every mm-hmm. week and now you're going in and people know who you are, which, you know, some people are like, oh, you know, that's, you know, Maggie, and they know. Is it is it hard sometimes to go in for just a week shoot when you're a spot or do you, you have know, to really get to know the show? Do you watch? Let's say you get cast for a show. Do you watch some episodes yeah. before you do it? Yeah, okay. I do. Um, uh, I do. I have to figure out if, 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 if it's something I don't know. Then I definitely want to get a get a good feel for it before I show up. But you know, I, I that's how I've made my living is as a guest star, and uh, uh, so I don't ever feel funny about diving in and showing up on a set. They're all different, obviously. You know, best it's best case scenario, people are going to welcome you and be nice to you and make you feel at home. Um, you know, generally that's the case. These days, I don't have any. I don't have any bad memories of being, you know, right. <laughs> left out in the cold. And I, I know that when I, you know, I always really made an effort when I was on Ellen to really welcome the guest stars because you do feel a little funny when you show up and you see this kind of tight knit family and you're just a visitor. Now, through your guest star roles and stuff like that, were you still pursuing the voice? Were you still doing that? Yeah, I, I have. A, I mean, you know, I have a, a voiceover agent, and I do a lot of uh, a lot of animation auditions. And you know, I absolutely love animation. It's my all-time favorite way to make a living. So uh, I do. I, I did a Barbie movie. I did one of. There's a whole series of Barbie movies. What kind of were you, Barbie? I, no, no, I was the <laughs> I, I was the villainous um, in Swan Lake. So did, I was. Do you like uh, being was, the villainous? It turns out I'm I'm good at it. You know, I, it's fun. It's fun. I like to play the bad guy. It must be because it's just because you're very nice, and it must be cool because it's just like you can be a jerk. And when you once you leave the studio, no one knows you're a jerk, and the people in the set know you're just acting as a jerk. Yeah, it's kind of become my thing. Well, <laughs> I don't you, know how that happened, but you were an Archer. No, I saw. Oh this, yes, an Archer. I, too. Now, mm-hmm. I'll be honest. I've never seen a show. Oh. I heard it. I heard it's so funny. It's I've heard funny. amazing things about it. So how did that role come about? Uh, that role came about uh, in a way the same way Raymond happened. I read for the lead uh, character on that show, and. She was written as a Brit with a slight island tinge. I can't remember. But so, and, and I got the job. Uh, as it turns out, the character is black. And I think the, the higher up the chain it went, the, the, there were more people who said they would rather have a black actress. And so uh, Aisha Tyler got that role. And they, you know, they, 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 I got hired and fired before we ever began. Okay. And, uh, and they gave it to Aisha, and she's fabulous. She's fantastic in it. Um, and it, it should have been her job. Uh, it was really flattering that they wanted to give it to me, but I'm super glad they gave it to her. And uh, and so once again, the same way I ended up getting that extra that you know the role in, in Raymond as Linda Gruenfelda, um, I play Trinette on Archer. I play this kind of Irish Catholic hooker. How do you find the voices? I mean, because you sit there and you, know, you said you can do the Jewish voice, but it's like like I. How do you find how to do an Irish Catholic? It's not. It's like. It's. I mean, and you're not doing the hard brogue, I'm sure. But how no, no. <laughs> I thought so. Actually, I thought about it when I when I first saw the material. You know, sometimes I, you know, if you, you can get an idea. I just this just happened to me the other day. Oh, but it was an on camera audition where I came in and I I played this like I I did an audition and I did it like a girl who's from like um, Charlotte and it's just how I wanted to do it and I did this whole thing and he's like that was great that accent was really good that's not what I want at all. <laughs> It's like so we kind of scratched that, and we went back to uh, the drawing board. But you know, I don't know. It's 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 sometimes it's collaborative. Sometimes I'll come in with an idea, and people will say, "Okay, well, we like that, but uh, you know, let's try this or let's try that." And I don't know. I play. See, that's cool. And so now, now we're going to talk about Californication because, as I said, oh, yes. I I love that show, and it's so funny. It's one of those. The first season, I 
I tried to watch it and I wasn't really a fan of it. And then I went back and someone said, Coop, you'll love it. So I said, all right. And I went back and I guess it wasn't until like the third season that I was going to try it. So I went back and it was all on demand because back then Charter would keep H- Showtime always is great about that. They'll Which put means you can be season. like a junkie and watch right. so 97 yeah. episodes without eating. Yeah, you start watching it and watching it. And I'm like, God, this is really good. And it's just a cool episode, a series. And sometimes you sit there and go, okay, you know, I'm getting tired of Hank's tomfoolery because you do and it's like yeah. anything like shows and that's what I love about Showtime during Dexter like after the one season I'm like hey, this sucks I can't watch this anymore then they came back and they, they brought it back it was like the season before the last season was good but the season before I was like yeah you know the ending but with Californication they brought it back and, and now and it's so funny because your role really doesn't have a lot to do with Hank it has a lot to do with Runkle and Stephen Tobolsky's character which are all just great characters and it, it, people if you don't watch it I mean you just you hate Maggie Ophelia, you sit there and you go, she's just, she's so, there's so much, for someone who speaks about, you know, the freedom of women, there's just so much anger in her. And the thing is, you play it perfectly because there, you just, you sit there and you go, oh my God, I, I, I hate this. It's like, you want to change the channel. You're like, I just wish Marcy would punch her in the face. You know, I was like, and I think she did she finally. Did. I'm like, thank <laughs> God. I'm like, I can't, I can't stand it. Now, real quick, did, you, did your character have a crush on Marcy? Because yes. you, you made a move on her in the show. Oh, yes. I okay, did. yeah. Just what you're getting the whole time. But so how did that come about, that role come about? And did you ever, I mean, once again, you're playing a villain and it must have been a blast because not, you're not doing it in voice, oh, but you're it. just a bitch. I loved playing her, I have to say. You know what? That role came about in a crazy and wild way. Um, I called David. We're, we are old friends, and if you look on Wikipedia, it will tell you that we dated, which is true. I didn't see that on Wikipedia. Oh, I think yeah. they took it off. Uh, so, uh, well, tell him well, I we, have a we, man we, crush on him. I will. Okay. I absolutely will. Um, anyway, we were young, and uh, we've known each other for a long time. So we're good friends, old friends. And I called him. I had a particular reason I needed to call him. I needed to ask his opinion on something, and we were in the middle of the conversation when he said, you know, there's a role on the season that would be a good part for you. You know, do you want to, you want, you want to do it? And I said, I, yes, I want to do it. And so then we started the, you know, the wheels turning and the network and the, you know, studio and everybody needed to look at my, my tape, my reel, my this, my that, and decide whether or not they would give it to me. Um, And they decided to give it to me. So I, I got that role you know, because I call, I happened to have called, it was Kismet. I called him at exactly the right moment. We were on the phone. It was literally happened in a matter of days. Isn't and had I not made that phone call, I probably never would have been read, for, been seen it, for the role. Isn't it weird how stuff like that works sometimes? Yeah, you sit there incredible. and so many people have said, you know, certain things have happened to them. And even for me, like what happens to me a lot with guests, like I'll sit there and I'll book a guest for the show. And then I'll put, I'll put on TV and that person's on the TV and I go, Wow, it's like it's like did that with Steve Scrovan when I, he wrote the one Seinfeld the movie episode, and uh, all of a sudden he was sitting there and he was on. And a few weeks ago, I was driving to a show with a, another comic. We we're doing a show out in the Redlands, and uh, we we're talking about Fred Stoller because he was a yeah. past guest. And I said, "Oh, Fred was on. He worked this. My friend had worked on uh, this." Uh, Vinny and uh, Fred and Vinny, whatever, it's based on a guy I know. But just then, as we're talking about that, my girlfriend texts me. She goes, what's that guy's name? You know, he's on the Seinfeld episode. So it's just weird how it's like things happen. It so is you, amazing. You so call that David, was one so of they, look, they look at your reel, but you know, do you go into audition? No, I, they gave me the job. They did, you looked know, at my, did you know what the character was when he they told, told you? What he told me was that she was a self-help author and that she had a crush on Marcy. Those were the two things that he told me. I said, I'm in. Okay. I'm in. 
And so, and then I said, do I need to get naked? That was the one thing that I felt that I should establish before signing off. Because uh, it's Californication. Uh, Californication. So. <laughs> and so they said, yeah, no, you don't need to take your clothes off. And I had been waiting for like the role <laughs> where I would not have to be buck naked on that show. And right. so really it was just an incredible thing that had happened. And, and, and so what David didn't know when he suggested me for it was that it was a five episode arc. He had no idea. So uh, he went, when, when it all happened, he said, you know, this is even better because it turns out it's this. So, uh, and, and, but the fun of it also for me was very much like my character on Friends where I never knew from you know episode to episode what they were going to be doing with Janice. I had no idea what was happening with Ophelia Robbins from episode to episode until the script arrived. So each time I would sort of think, oh God, where are we going? Where are we going? I opened the script like, oh my God, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? Uh, yeah, and I got to go batshit crazy. Well, yeah, you, and that's that the character. thing. Because when, when, when you heard what it was, you know, did they ever say, okay, you're going to be a really angry bitch man hater? Did they tell you that? Or did you, no. did you develop that? Or did the script develop it? Or did you improv it? Or how did that all come about? Well, we, I knew, right. We knew going in that she hated men. We knew, you okay. know, we knew that that was her thing. Uh, and in fact, the prop department made me a fantastic book cover. So I actually have the book. It's called, That's my, cool. my book is called No Man's Land. The one that I'm, that I'm uh, talking about in the first episode, we're having a little book party with all the divorcees. And so <laughs> I have this book and it's called No Man's Land. And it's, you know, they made like a, a, a circle with a line through it and you know the word man in the middle and then just all the liner notes and stuff it's really really funny so I I, I now am the proud owner of Ophelia Robbins book cover that's cool which is great um, but yes she just got more and more loathsome and more and more neurotic and crazy until eventually you know she's got Runkle and Marcy locked in her basement and uh, <laughs> chained to the radiator no. <laughs> and she comes in with a garden shears to. Uh, well, and then the whole thing with the uh, the ball thing you put on Stephen Tobolowski. Oh my god! Like, oh, that's right. The, I mean, the, how did that scene go? It must be we a weird. Laughed scene. a lot. <laughs> exactly. That's the thing. I mean, you you can't. It's so bizarre and it's great writing it's just so random I mean, i'm sure those things exist i don't oh, know they exist that thing was real and okay. we were sitting around looking at the catalog that they found it in and that they ordered it from and believe me it was one of many there's a whole array of uh cages that you can purchase that's just nuts you don't think about that i mean i guess i guess you know i'm normal believe me it was a shock to uh i think everybody on set maybe there were some people who'd actually known about it before but it was pretty funny well it's funny because marcy Girl, actress who played Marcy, I'm not sure of her name. Pam Adlon. I believe, someone told me, I don't know if this is true, but she was the little, the little, the girl in The Wanderers. Remember that old movie, The Wanderers? Yeah, yeah. Which is, she had real short hair, and I was like, wow. And she was also the voice of uh, Bobby, Bobby Hill in King Yeah, Hill, she right? is. She is fantastic. She's just a genius. I love her. I love working with her. That was why I got so excited when David said, you have a crush on Marcy as this character. I'm like, I want to do it. I, I just... Love her, and I love working with her. Did you watch? You so you watched the show, California. Yeah, I watched the show. But did, you did. You had never met Marcy. No, we had. Life? We had met many okay. times. Yeah. Now it's just funny, is it? Because it's just now you you get physical. Now was that the first time you've gotten like physical and bat as as you say batshit crazy? Is that the first time you've actually? I mean, because sitcoms you you can go crazy, but not like I've done some stunt work, like okay. in um in uh, uh what's the movie that I made. <laughs> Parent trap, uh, you know, in the parent trap, I get dunked with chocolate and feathers, and I slam, I, I slide across a room and slam into a wall, you know. So I've done a bunch of physical stuff before, but this is the first time I've had a fist fight with a woman. So that's just <laughs> cool, fun. though. So, the, so how was the, you said about the parent trap? What was that like? Like, was it when they got covered in chocolate? Was that was it a lot of takes or like? Because I always wonder when I see these movies. Okay, do you do it once, and if it's not, I go. Do they clean you up, and you have to keep going, and they have to have so much damn wardrobe? You know, it's so funny. Yeah, those 
those kinds of things you have to plan out really well, or you could spend all day taking showers. Right. But in that case, we did. We shot it. They drenched us in chocolate, and then they put us on a little golf golf cart, and they rode us all the way to the showers. It was hysterical because we were out in the country. We were out in Ar- Lake Arrowhead, and by the time I got to the showers, I was like a chocolate Easter bunny. Like the chocolate had hardened, and you know, just to kind of pull my limbs out, right. and the chocolate was cracking in the in the in the sleeves of the shirt and everything. So anyway, we did have to shower completely, and they had. A, you know, a second uh, wardrobe, clean wardrobe, and we started all over again, and we shot it again. And then we came to, uh, we came back to L.A. at a certain point, and we did some close-ups on the scene in a, in a you know, in a, in a limited set space where they were dumping stuff all over us. And See, and that's, that's yeah. just so funny. It's just, you think about it, because, and it's very popular, because, like, with the sliming and stuff like that, but you always think, it's like, well, man, that must be a pain in the ass if someone just screws up. Like, if it's, like, on the 10th take, it's like, you must be going... Christ's sake! I'm tired of getting <laughs> yeah. this crap poured over me. Get it's getting it right too long. the first time. So now, now the choir. You do the choir. Yes. Now, now, okay. Now, when did that come about? You know, uh, when I was in my early twenties, um, I went up to uh, the Omega Institute, which is a place in upstate New York. It's a retreat center that does all kinds of incredible. Uh, work and people go up there for everything from making you know furniture out of branches to learning about to zen in the art of tennis to you know to studying Russian icon painting I mean it's just very very it's an incredible spot and I went up there uh, in my early 20s to take a workshop with Issei Barnwell who sings bass who up until recently uh, sang bass with a group called Sweet Honey and the Rock I was a huge fan of their music it's an acapella group uh, five African American women they've been together for so many years, and uh, and she was teaching up there. Now, when did you start getting into acapella? Because it's like it's like people find stuff that different kind of musics. But how did you start getting to that? You know, I think I, I had such a kind of roots music background coming from that Pete Seeger campfire right. experience. You know, that the the just the voice and harmony was really where I where I lived, where I resonated. So I was never into doo-wop or you know that kind of barbershop right. uh, acapella. But I I was always extremely drawn to music out of the African American tradition to music from Africa to gospel music and so uh, why I, why that resonated with me so strongly even when I was really young I, I can't really say but I just know that that was the music that I loved and that spoke to my soul and I was a huge fan of Sweet Honey and when I found out that uh, Issei was going to be teaching her workshop the first time it was her first time she ever taught it it was called Black Choral and Congrega- Congregational Singing um, now it's called Building a Vocal Community but uh, I was fortunate to be in the first class that she ever taught there were about 60 of us there and and uh, we started. We, we sang together for seven days, and then a bunch of people in New York wanted to get together and sing. And that's when I started to, um, you know, I sort of emerged as a leader, and I and I and I started to sort of run that group. And out of that, uh, we developed a performance group, an a cappella group called Sons and Daughters, and uh, a small group. And uh, Issei mentored us for a short time in okay. New York. And then I moved out here for my acting work, and I was just sort of bereft and missing music, but I wasn't really feeling like I wanted to be in another performance group. So eventually I started teaching. My husband's an artist, and his gallerist at the time allowed me to use her space. So once a month I would just teach these a cappella workshops, okay. and that's how it started. Um, and then I stopped when I had my kids, and, you know, I'm just uh, kind of in and out of it. And then when I finally took a break, when my older daughter was 10, I went back to work with Issei. Uh, she was teaching in Canada. And I took this workshop up in Canada. I met a bunch of people and they said, you should come to Victoria because they s- the, a bunch of these folks sing in a choir called the Get and Hire Choir in Victoria. And the people who run that, uh, Dennis 
Dennis uh, Donnelly and Siobhan Robinson run a training. It's called the Community Choir Leadership Training. And I thought, I didn't think I wanted to run a choir. That wasn't really on my radar. But I was interested in them and what they were doing and the fact that they had a 300-member community choir. And so I decided to go take their training. Uh, This was eight years ago. And right before I left, this wonderful woman called me from there, and she said, you know, we're so happy you're coming. And by the way, there's this great guy. He lives in L.A. His name's Emil Hassan Dyer. You should meet him. You guys would love each other. So Emil and I got together, He and he had done the training. And uh, we met, and he's a vocal improviser, amazing vocal improviser, um, and uh, and and a singer and, and a drummer. He grew up in Senegal. He's a great djembe player and a uh, vocal percussionist. And we got together. We met. We knew immediately that we wanted to work together. So I went off and did this training. No, no, oh God, I, 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 I push no, up. no. We will not be. We will. Oh, sorry about that. That's, that's, that's your okay. corporate. That was, there was corporate training. I, I clicked on the corporate oh, training. That's so I think one of the tabs. And I, I didn't think it would come on. That's awesome, though. That, so was, that, that was you. Yeah. That's so cool. See that? That's awesome. Amazing. So anyway, Emil and I met. We just really knew right away that we wanted to work together. And we started the choir. That was eight years ago. It's a non-auditioned community choir. It's called the Golden Bridge Community Choir. We're working toward our December 15th concert right now. And uh, and uh, we meet at the Golden Bridge Yoga uh, Center in Hollywood. And it's a wonderful thing. Now, where's the concert going to be? At the Golden Bridge Yoga Center on December 5th, Sunday, December 15th at 2.30. And tickets are available online at goldenbridgeyoga.com. Now, what kind of, uh, it's acapella, but is it going to be a Christmas theme or? No, we don't do that. So okay. we sing a lot of world music. We sing, we're singing music from, from, uh, from South Africa. We're singing music from um, Spain. We're singing, we sing, it's very, it's very multicultural. And we're also singing spirituals and uh, a bunch of stuff. Very eclectic. Now, it said corporate on your website. What is, what is the corporate? The corporate training is just, uh, you know, Emil and I take the work that we do with the choir and we you know we travel with it so we work with church groups we work with theater groups we work with corporate groups we work with anybody who wants to bring us into their in the community no matter what that might be and um and get people singing and it's good for health and it's good for yeah, um you know bringing people together and, and team building and so it's just a you know it's, that's just one of the things that we that we do with the music and on your website which is maggiewheeler.net mm-hmm. there also, it also says maggie's music now, if I click on that, what will I hear? You will hear a CD that I made that's just all me singing. So I'm singing all the different harmony parts, and it's all music that I wrote. Uh, there are two songs on there where Emil uh, is singing with me and doing some vocal percussion, uh, and that's what you'll hear. Now, is that really enjoy- it seems like you really enjoy it when you talk about it. I mean, you love the acting, I tell, but you, you seem, it seems like it's a different part of you. It, it, it looks, you must really enjoy it because you look very you – you, as soon as you're talking about music, you get, very, you get that look in your eyes. I do. You know, I say that I act for my supper and I sing for my soul and uh you know i I, you know my acting also feeds me on a on a soul level but the singing the work that i do with the singing is so profound and so meaningful and it changes people's lives and i you know i I don't know that i knew that's what was happening when i got into it but that is the reality is that people really need it and uh and it and i get immediate feedback from the people that i'm working with no matter what the environment is and it changes people so i do feel i get excited i get to smile about it because you know as an actor i you know you're always waiting for somebody else to give you permission and say yes right and with this music work i take it out into the world i carry it on my back and wherever i am you know we we could walk out of here right now, get get twenty people out of every office, and I could have you singing in you know in twenty five minutes. See, that's so cool though. That's good, and, and you know, so that's so awesome. So, uh, just give your information again, so people can check out your work and stuff like that, and give the the address of your show coming up again. And just give all your your. Uh, do you tweet? 
I don't tweet. Okay, don't worry about it. A lot of people, people don't think. I mean, I have a thousands of followers, but no one ever retweets me. I tweet the hell out. So give, uh, give your info. So here is the deal. Uh, the Golden Bridge Community Choir meets at the Golden Bridge Yoga Center, which is on Highland and DeLongpre, and their website, if I hope I have it right, is goldenbridgeyoga.com. We have tickets uh, online available for our December 15th show, which is at 2.30 on Sunday, December 15th. Then we take a two-week break. We'll start choir up again in January, if there's any, any listeners out there who are interested in joining a community choir. You can find us also at goldenbridgechoir.com. If you look at that, you can see some video of us, or you can go to YouTube and see some video. Uh, MaggieWheeler.net is a place to go to look at at trainings that we do and to try to bring us to your community uh, if you're interested in having us come and teach for you. And uh, I think that's about it. And. Well, I want to thank you. It was good to meet you. And it's so funny because I saw you uh, when, after Kathleen was on. I saw you on her website. And I always the same thing. I see a name and credits. I'm like, oh, like second. And I hit you up and you got back to me. So I appreciate that. Thank you. Thanks thank for you. inviting me no to problem. come on. It's been such a pleasure talking to you. And people, just listen next week. I have two great guests. I have uh, the lead singer from Berlin, Terry Nunn. She'll be on. And also a great character actor named Dan Bacadal, who was the albino in the movie The Heat. And he's also in a regular on Legit and Veep. Also, send me an email, cooper at indie100, indie100.com. I'd love to hear your feedback you know suggest some guests i can try to get them you know i I try to get good guests we'll see what happens also follow me on twitter at cooper talk follow me because i tweet a lot and i tweet when i'm on the big daddy graham show out of philadelphia it's not as much during football season but follow me there because usually thursdays at midnight pacific coast time i'm there also uh what else is up i can't think what else oh 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 uh iTunes and Stitcher Radio. Uh, just type in Cooper Talk one word, or go to CooperTalk.net. I have about a hundred. No, actually, I have two hundred and two episodes up there. So check it out. You know, I'm Steve Cooper. I'm only as hip as my guests. Remember, drink your water, take your vitamins, eat your veggies, have a great day, and I'll talk to you next week. <laughs>